Now, I tell you, we're going to be in Galatians today, and um, I used to have a, a way to know the first few books of the New Testament. You know, everybody knows Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then right after that is Acts, then right after that is Romans. So normally we're good, but then you get into the other things. Well, before Duke Energy came, it was called CG&E, okay, Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians. So just keep that in mind. And then the next two were PC, personal computer, Philippians and Colossians. Then there's about four or five books with all T's. So you should know somewhat where the Bible is if you just keep that CG&E and personal computer. We're in Galatians, all right? The biblical principle and we're talking the spirit-filled life. And I tell you, this has been one of the toughest messages I've ever prepared because I'm trying to get it down to what does a spirit-filled life mean? So I just want to make sure that uh, what I say today is, is true. I believe it is. <laughs> but we want to talk about the spirit-filled life. And the biblical principle is Christians have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. And the personal application is we're called not to live busy lives, which we all do, but we're called to live fruitful lives. And we're going to examine what does that mean. The book of Galatians, I just want to give some background. The book of Galatians was written by Paul around 50 A.D., and the purpose of the book is somewhat twofold. Some were preaching a distorted form of Christianity, a false doctrine. It was a false gospel. And don't we see that today where things are creeping into the church? And I have to say, I don't see that here. I appreciate the biblical truth that Nick teaches us. And so, thank you, Nick. But we have to make sure that a distorted form of the gospel doesn't come into the church. But the second thing he wrote, he says the church must stand firm in the truth of the gospel. And the key word there is truth. We talked about that in the Sunday school this morning. What is truth? Well, what may be true for you may not be true for me. And so people get this distorted feeling of what is truth. Well, let me tell you something. You want to know the truth? You got to go to the good book. It's the absolute truth. It's how our, our whole mind and our bodies need to be conformed to the truth of God. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for us. Conform us to be more Christ-like. And so Paul was writing this to say, hey, we got to stay away from these things. Before we get into what it means to live a fruitful life, we need to take a look at the third person of the Trinity. Now, when I was a young kid, I had a distorted view of the Trinity. God the Father I knew. God the Son I knew. But when I was raised as a kid, we said, the Holy Ghost. 
Now, some of you may not remember this, but when I was a kid, Casper was the friendly ghost. How many of you know who Casper is? All right. All right. It was Casper the friendly ghost. Now, it didn't say Casper a friendly ghost. It was Casper the friendly ghost, which showed me that all the other ghosts could have been unfriendly. And if you ever watch them, I think the rest of the ghosts were somewhat unfriendly. But when the church said, it's the Holy Spirit, it suddenly sunk into me what the Trinity meant. Because I had a distorted view. And I hope none of you really had that distorted view with Casper, but that's how I was when I was growing up. The Bible says we're the tabernacle, our dwelling place. See, when the Israelites were going in the wilderness, the tabernacle was a tent where Moses went in to talk to God. And so then later the tabernacle became the temple, the Holy of Holies, where God was. But now we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. So think of it this way. God said, he told Moses, you can't see my face. You can't see it and live. But Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and God showed him the glory. So you think of God the Father as being heavenly. But then God sent his only son who dwelt with the people of Israel to say the kingdom of God is at hand. You're witnessing the start of the kingdom of God. But when Jesus ascended, he said, I have to ascend because the comforter, the helper, the spirit is coming to you. And you will do greater things than I have done. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus. How could we do greater things? Look at the church today. The church is worldwide. The church has evangelized. The church has saved. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Bible says the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to change our lives to conform us to be more Christ-like. And so what does the Spirit provide for us? Well, one of the most important things is it does regenerate our heart so that we accept Christ. But another thing is the conviction of sin. We live in a world where people don't know. It seems like it's upside down where wrong is right and right is wrong. And too often we have things creeping into the church. And again, I don't see that here, but I see it in other churches where other churches are compromising the truth to appeal to the culture. And we cannot have that. If you ever hear me or Nick or anyone else on this pulpit not speaking biblical truth, I want you to call us out on it. But do it with gentleness. <laughs> you don't have to throw tomatoes up here. So, the conviction of sin. 
The Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer life. It says the Holy Spirit will take our prayers. We may not know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will groan for us in our prayers to the Heavenly Father, to Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to build up the church. Now, I want to just stop there just a second. A lot of times churches concentrate on the gifts. And they'll talk about the gifts a lot. A lot of times they don't talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But on the gifts, there's probably 30 of them there if you classify them all. Not everyone will have every gift. But the Holy Spirit gives each one of us at least a gift. Some he gives two or three. Why? To build up the church, to equip the church, to help us in the community of believers. Every person has a gift. Not every person uses their gift. And so what we need to do is say, what is my gift? And you can a lot of times say, what 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 is the Holy Spirit giving me a passion for? Is it to teach the Sunday school? Is it to, you know, uh, be a Fred and do the chicken dinner, you know, (laughs) the gift of administration? But everyone has a gift, and only if we use the gift given to us will we continue to build up the church. And so learn your gift and then exercise it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit provides spiritual fruit to build our character. And I really want to emphasize the character building. He's called the helper and comforter. comforter, And the Holy Spirit is, in John 15, is also called the spirit of truth. The Bible is truth inspired by God. So what happens when we have the Holy Spirit within us, that we have converted, we have said, Christ, I believe in you. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling it within us. We have an internal war, and a spiritual war within us, a battle between our sinful nature and the new nature given to us by Christ. We're in spiritual warfare. As fallen human beings, we're trapped in a body that desires sinful things. In Romans 7, 15, Paul said it best. I mean, here's Paul. He wrote the letter, so many letters to the churches. And here's Paul saying in Romans 7, 15, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Doesn't that sound like us? <laughs> I don't do the thing I want to do. I'm doing the very things that I hate doing. Because we're in a human body that still has a fallen condition, a sinful condition. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit producing his fruit in us. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer the acts of our sinful nature. One of the progressions of Christianity is we become more aware of our sins. And then what we do is repent of our sins as Nick said earlier, John the baptizer said, repent. Jesus said, repent. And so we become more aware of our sins, and it used to be our big sins. Now we become even more aware of our little sins that we have. So we need to conquer the acts of our sinful nature. 
I want to express this. When we accept Christ, justification, that's when we accept Christ, justification does not kill our sinful nature. It doesn't kill our sinful nature. Rather, justification frees us from the penalty of our sinful nature. Okay, we still have a sinful nature. But justification, believing in Christ, takes away the penalty of that sin, of our sinful nature. And think about this. Once we were saved, we entered a war that we never had as unbelievers. Let me say that again. Once we're saved, we're in, we're in a battle that we never had as unbelievers. Because as unbelievers, we didn't think too much about our sin. As unbelievers, we didn't always wage that battle. But once we became believers, we now are part of the spiritual battle in the world. And what is that? We're at war with three enemies in this spiritual battle. We're at war with the world. Now you say, what do you mean we're at war with the world? Well, look at what the world is doing to us now. Uh, just this morning I heard a, um, a preacher talking about transgenderism. And he says, I love transgender people. But he said, you know, they make up about three-tenths of a percent of the population of the U.S. And he, but yet he says, right now we have the tail wagging the dog. What we're doing is, he said, from a biological point of view, when you have a baby, they mark on the birth certificate, male or female. They don't say, I don't know. Male or female, biologically. But theologically, God agrees because he said in Genesis, male and female, he created them, and it was good. So the world is trying to tell us, oh, there's a new normal. We're at battle with the world, that culture. We have to stand for the truth. We also have our flesh that we're at war with, that sinful nature that we're trying to get more and more Christ-like. And finally, we're at battle with Satan. Satan's behind all this. And what we have to do is cast our eyes on Christ. Now I'm going to read, because I said our flesh, I'm going to read. Excuse me, read from Galatians chapter 5. Remember, that's C, G, and E. It's right in between the C and E. Galatians chapter 5, and Megan read the last half of that, but I want to read the first part of it. So in chapter 5, verses 16, he says, But I walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, we're not to to gratify the desires of our flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he then lists the works of the flesh. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warned you, as I warned you before, that the, the, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now those are works of the flesh can be divided up as they had here under several different categories. Uh, sexual sins, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Religious sins, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Because anytime we sin, we're at enmity with God. And then there's the sins that hinder personal relationships, and he listed a bunch of those. And then addictions, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now notice this is not an all-inclusive list. You say, well, where's murder up there? These are examples of sins of our flesh. And so it's not all-inclusive. But it sure gives us a good idea of what the Bible is saying are sins of the flex, sex. And then he goes on in verse 22 that Megan read. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there's no law. These also can be, they're all relational. All these fruit of the Spirit are relational. We have our relationship to God, love, joy, peace. We have our relationship to others, patience, kindness, goodness, and our relationships to self, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, some of these overlap. For instance, if you have a relationship with God and have the peace that surpasses all understanding, well, that's also going to help you in your relationship to others. And likewise, if you have kindness and goodness, that's going to help you in your relationship, um, even with yourself, because you see your, the Spirit working with you. So we have the, the sins of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. And everything in these lists that I'm showing you now, everything has to do with the character of God. If you say, is God love? Yep. Is God have joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness? Yep. The Spirit is trying to give us the fruit of the Spirit to be more like Christ. And I'll get into how in a second. So I'm going to go down and just talk briefly about each one of these um, fruit of the Spirit. And again, this is not an inclusive list. There's other things that we could include on this list. Paul's trying to show a contrast. But first one I want to look at is love. Notice love is the first fruit of the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 13 it says, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's the preeminent. And the reason why is in 1 John chapter 4, 
There's two verses in there, 1 John chapter 4, in verse 8 and in verse 16. It tells us, God is love, period. God is love. It's the most preeminent characteristic of God, and it needs to be the most preeminent characteristic of us. And the reason why is very clear. If we are to be more like Christ, we must love. And that includes love within our church membership. Love is a choice, not a feeling. We want the community to know. And when I say community, I'm talking to greater Franklin County, Dearborn County. We want the community to know that this church stands for two things. The love of the Bible and the love among each other. We need to show love. Joy is more than just a temporary happiness. People can be happy. But joy is beyond that. Joy is not a temporary happiness. It's the realization of God's grace and favor in your life. Biblical joy results in happiness that is not dependent upon our circumstances. Let me say that again. Happiness a lot of times depends upon circumstances. You get a pay raise, you're happy for at least two weeks, <laughs> you know, and then you want another one. But joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Joy is dependent upon our relationship to God, okay? And even in uh, James Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I mean, here's James saying, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And why? Because we have the hope of Christ. It's a testing of our faith. Peace, I won't dwell too much on this because I think most of us have heard this before, but peace is a harmonious relationship with God. It means we're no longer at war with God. The more love we have, then we'll have a peace with ourselves and the more at peace with others. We are to be anxious for nothing. We're to have peace. Why? Because God is our hope. It's a peace that transcends all understanding, and it's a peace that's not, again, dependent upon our circumstances. Patience, and my wife would tell you, I should not be up here talking about patience. <laughs> All right? Someplace along the line, I don't know how that made it in, the fruit of the Spirit, but God wants it there. I'm the type of person who, if I'm two cars behind somebody at a stoplight and it turns green, Pat will tell you, my favorite saying is, green means go. <laughs> All right, green means go. So, but patience uh, is not necessary. It's a fruit I have to work on. Uh, I have to pray to the Holy Spirit to give me more patience. And Pat will tell you, I have gotten more patience. It may only be this much, but I'm growing. So we are to be slow to anger and we're told to be patient through trying situations out of a hope for a coming deliverance. When we are patient, we leave 
room for God to work in our hearts and in our relationships. Kindness is pretty straightforward. It's a heart of gratitude. Treating one another with respect. I have to tell a story. It's sort of related to kindness, but most of you know Joe Jester, who owns IGA. Joe said, Ken, I have never been in a town where people return their carts to the store. He said, I am just impressed by this community. That's an act of kindness. Not leaving the cart out in a parking spot so that as you start to turn in, you say, whoops, I got to back out again because there's a cart there. But Joe Jester says, this community is really fantastic. I've never been in a community where people return their carts like this. It's an act of kindness, treating one another with respect. Goodness, and sometimes some Bibles treat this as generosity. In creation, God said, it is good. Every time, it is good. Therefore, we also need to see the beauty around us as we seek to benefit others. Goodness means we place the needs of others before ourselves. It's an act of selflessness where we consider others to be benefited by our goodness. Not that it makes us feel strong or feel better, but because it's what we're called to do. The last three, faithfulness. Faithfulness in chapter 11 of Hebrews and again, this is the faith chapter. I talked to you about the love chapter. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. It calls faith the assurance of things hoped for. Isn't that true? The assurance of things. Hope has been throughout all these fruit of the Spirit. The things of things hoped for. The convictions of things not seen. Basically, this is the fruit of trust. Trust in God. Trust in others. Now, I typically will say, I will trust others until they give me a reason not to trust them. So I start from a positive point of view. Gentleness, it's humility and thankfulness towards God. Polite, restrained behavior towards others. It's just a quietness of spirit. I've met people who just have a quietness of spirit. You just want to be around them. And then finally, self-control, the ability to control our own thoughts, words, and actions. Wouldn't that be nice? Self-control, to control our thoughts, words, and actions. To give in to our desires is not self-control. I would like to, and oh, I thought there'd be a round of applause. Uh, <laughs> in conclusion, um, we must walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can say, well, I'm going to work on patience. No. You're going to pray to the Holy Spirit to give you patience. The Holy Spirit is indwelling within you. But we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our works. It's not, it's not like say, okay, Pat, this week I'm going to work on patience. Next week I'm going to work on love. That's not how it works. What it is is, we have to pray to the Spirit to give us the fruit of the Spirit so we can get better. 
We must choose to follow the Holy Spirit lead. If we don't follow the lead of the Holy Spirit and exercise his power in our lives, it's what the Bible calls quenching the Spirit. We're doing what we want to do, not what the Spirit wants us to do. But if we do follow the lead, then the process includes focusing our minds on the positive aspects that Philippians 4.8 teaches us. Notice what 4.8's right up here. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The key word is think. Because as we think, our behavior will follow. If we always think of negative things, our behavior could be negative. But if we think of the positive things, the things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And I want to just, one more slide. I was fooling you with the conclusion. But <laughs> in John 15, 1 through 8, he says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it can be more fruitful. That's what a winemaker does. Prunes the, the grapevine so it can be more fruitful. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. We get our source of power from Christ our source to keep us fruitful. Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And this is the key phrase, for apart from me, you can do nothing. But by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that you are with us, that you have given us the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit can mature in us, just like fruit matures on a tree. We're part of the branch of Christ. He's the vine. And as we more and more abide in him, in other words, obey his commandments, do the things he wants us to do, then, Lord, we will bear much fruit, and we'll do that to the glory of your name. Amen.